Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18 in our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Part 2, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're happy to bring on once again Brad Allen, Jason Bukula. In the, this segment, we're going to talk about our individual sleeper picks. Now, I don't know who they're choosing. We didn't uh, tell each other before we went on air. So I will start off with mine. And so I'm thinking that this player might be able to pull off a Matt Roy, which was a seventh-round pick, 194th overall in 2015, of the LA Kings. Let's pull out the same thing that Matt did. And I'm taking Ty Campbell from Smith Fall Bears, 6'3". Uh, he's 185 pounds. He's got size. He's got some range. He's got some mobility. He's raw. He's got some a lot of rawness to him, but he's competitive. So he's played and he's played two years in the CCHL. He's going to play presumably a year in the USHL this year, and then he goes to Clarkson University, which most likely he'll play three years, maybe four. So at that point, he gets out. You know, he's a 22 year old. So you start to get into that. You know, turns pro at draft plus four. And then get a couple of years in the American League, and then maybe, you know, cross your fingers, you might get lucky. So I'm going to go like, I'm going to swing for the fences. And I like those tall, lanky defensemen that are raw, that if you just leave them alone and let them develop, stay out of their way, they might turn into something. Well, who's next? <laughs> That's great. Go, Brad. We'll, we'll, we'll wait for Brad. Oh, my. It's okay. Hopefully, we don't have the same one, Jason. Uh, uh, my, my sleeper, uh, very similar player to, uh, what we just saw out of Dallas with, uh, Yoel Kivaranta, very similar, bizarre game that, uh, kind of translates. That's, uh, Peter Visterheim out of Norway. I like to always give, um, a boost to, uh, one of these depth players that, uh, is coming from a, a smaller country. And there, I always have one rule of thumb, which is that in every draft, there's always one Latvian and one Norwegian. You just gotta go find and so this year for me, the Norwegians, Peter Vesterheim, he's um, he's one of the oldest players in this draft, which is not a good thing. But when it comes to his curve, this is a kid from last year who was coming from the Norwegian junior circuit. And then he not only comes and plays in the J20, he helps more capture the division and he's the top producer. So that's a very good curve relative to the age, even though he's one of the older players. Then he goes and plays the Elsvenskan where he shows not only he can play, but though some of his best performance, some of his peak performances were in the Elsvenskan League, then he gets to play at the World Championships. And not only does he play, he gets penalty kill time, and he actually gets to play up occasionally. He has good speed. He's an energy winger. He's mobile. He's efficient. He's a, a very structured player who anticipates play in each zone. And he's one of those players that you project to be, again, very similar to Kivaranta in terms of what he could be. You're talking about probably a fourth-line energy forward, but he gains – that above replacement skill that skill set that a team doesn't want to lose because of the zone entry rates and because of the penalty kill rates. So very much a depth player, but he's one that I couldn't uh, get away from. He kept forcing me. He kept forcing me. I had to end up not only writing him, but ranking him. And he, he's the one for me there right at 65, where if I'm in the seventh round and he's on the board, maybe even the sixth round, I'm thinking really hard about it because of how impressive he was down the stretch. 
I don't disagree with that one. Actually, I thought that that was a pretty good one there, Brad. Now, now Shane's caught me off guard. Absolutely, hundred percent. I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna bring it back to the CHL. And I know this isn't really fair since I live right here in London, but a kid that caught my eye quite often this year was Jacob Julian at the London Knights. And six uh, three, you know, one hundred and seventy pound guy. Only played forty regular season games. Got in twenty playoff games. What I like about him, he's old too. Like he's an older guy, Brad. But uh, what I like about him is, uh, first of all, I like his length. He's a he's a big body, but he's not. He's 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 slim, like six three, one seventy. He's got room for at least twenty bills to go on that frame. Still, um, I love his skating. Like he really tracks up and down the ice very well. Uh, there's some other guys that have played in London that fit the same profile as him. I think he's going to score more next year when he gets more of an opportunity. You know, like I think you're going to get more out of certain guys in London, Easton Cowan, for example. And I think Julian's a big part of that. So if he doesn't uh, get drafted, um, which is also plausible, I guess, he'll attend the NHL camp in the fall. And he's one of those guys that don't be surprised when he returns, if he goes as a free agent, that he signs a contract coming out of a camp because somebody's going to want to shore him up. I think there's a lot of upside there. Two-way forward. Uh, secondary offense at worst, uh, but uh, a threat off the rush. And he'll surprise. I believe he's going to surprise. Well, gentlemen, what's the consideration you guys have when you're looking at later round picks and sleeper picks in terms of their development cycle, of how much runway they're going to have before they get thrown into the deep end of the pool, which is the American Hockey League, where that's where great prospects get chewed up. You know, late first round picks, second round picks, third round picks. You see them go in as rookies as 20-year-olds or 21-year-olds, and they look like a deer caught in headlights. How much do you take into consideration, start with you, Jason, in terms of looking at what that the rest of their road is going to look like before they have to turn pro and then expectation starts being put upon them after their first year. Well, strategically I'm more in my comfort zone selecting a sixth or seventh round pick who's going to go to college or I got a little bit more time on them uh, as a European uh, for, for full transparency. That's how I feel. So um, having said that we have also in the past uh, on our uh, with with when I was in Florida, we've we've selected some guys late, uh, even older guys like Greg Morales out of Kitchener, for example, who was fine in the American League, uh, played to his identity. Um, but to your point, if you were to draft, uh, like for example, if uh, Yuri Pekarczyk uh, out of uh, Slovakia, you know he was a riser at the Worlds. If if you were to draft him and throw him in the American League in two years, Shane, I think you'd be doing him a disservice. I think his runway in Europe is three years before he gets to where he can skate at the American League level. I think his physical tools tools will be okay, but you know what? The American League it is a war of attrition. Like it's a very hard league to develop in. So all things being equal, for me, I like to see a guy with more time on his side as a late round pick to get an extra year of body and mind growth into his game before he hits the American league. Brad, it, can you, uh, you know, when you talk about your player specifically and you talk about the different leagues he's going to, and he's, you know, he's elevating every time, how much time do you like, like to see for a player like that who has a lot of rawness in their game upside, but it's just raw. Yeah, in his case, he's a he's an interesting one in the sense that he's really shown the ability to adapt 
uh, very quickly to, you know, Norwegian junior to world's level in the span of a year and a half, that's an unbelievable adaptation. So from, from the sense perspective and from the structure perspective, it's already there for him. It's physically just growing into his frame. Um, I'm, I'm totally on board with what Jason said about Pekarczyk because the skating so behind. So for somebody like Pekarczyk, you are looking for uh, uh, more years than you would for, say, Peter Westerheim because Westerheim's actually already a very gifted skater, already has everything you're looking for in terms of his three-point flexion, his postural integrity. He's got everything. So you, you don't have to worry about the skating. It's just filling out the frame so that his hard skill elements can shine on North American ice. Uh, Westerheim is one of those weird examples of a, of a prospect you take late, but he's actually not as far as behind as most players you take late it's just the sense of what his upside is right he's very much like i'd be extremely surprised if he was more than what i labeled as a fourth line energy forward if he gets to a third line it's a home run but you know i'm trying to trying to trying to find that one that you above replacement fourth liners are uh, are not uh, not very common it's a very niche role but in his sense he's he's a bit of an odd one i really think he could be coming over and fit right into the ahl maybe even two years and- which is again uncommon now, you know, that's the interesting thing because we talk about you made the mention of home run, but then you look at the historical average from the fourth round to the seventh round, you know, from the salary cap to now. And on average, you're only going to get 15 players out of those four rounds. So that'll play more than 200 games. Even if you can get some, and there's, you know, three times as many of those, they'll end up playing a cup of coffee, like sort of like 50 games to like 150 games in that range. And they have really great value. And for me, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a home run. Anytime you can get a player to play like games in the NHL, that's a dinger. And then people say, oh, he's just a replacement level player. He's a replacement level player in the best league in the world and can play games and add value when injuries happen. So for me, that's why I'm really intrigued anytime people put sleeper picks together. But we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We come back. We'll continue with our draft preview show right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. 
outside edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom and peewee. Contact us today at OutsideEdge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back for our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Part 2, powered by Instat, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're speaking with Brad Allen and Jason Bukla, and in this segment, we're going to talk about some Russian players that we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, previously. So let's start off with Daniel Boot, gentlemen. Intriguing player anytime, and this is, I talked about it before, my love of power forwards. Guys, those big, lanky, big guys that, you know, he's 6'5 and 203 pounds, uh, right-handed shot. Uh, initially, Jason, thoughts on him? One, I mean, how many power forwards there are there in the NHL? Very few. So there's scarcity and value there. But he's a Russian, so there's an unknown factor of when he is coming over and access to him. So that's always a concern because teams are have some you know issues sometimes when it comes to mitigating risk or even like being a little bit of risk averse. So thoughts on him as a player and trying to like mitigate that overall value. There's value him as a player. If he was a North American, it should be the same value. But he's not. He's a Russian, so it changes where he ends up going. So I think that in his situation, it's it's a much different situation than like a Mitch Koff. So the risk reward, um, the risk part of me, the leverage when you leverage the risk of the other situation with Mitch Koff going in the top five, let's call it top eight. Um, obviously, there's a lot more risk in that. But this player here, I see him. You know what? I don't know, Brad. He could be like. 25th or he could be 40th like it's I think there's gonna be a wide range in this in this guy I personally have him as a first round pick um and it's interesting that you describe him as a power forward I I describe him as a big body um uh, three-quarter skill guy actually to be honest and and my comparable on him is and this is going to show my age a bit but I find that he's somewhere at the same age between uh Tage Thompson and Nick Antropov so he's got like a little bit of both of those players in his game at the same age. You know, sometimes he's like his his mechanics, they're not horrible. Antropov at that time, especially, was a little bit, you know, he was lucky. He was, yeah, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't easy on the eyes. I'll put it to you that way with the skating. Uh, and then Thompson, when he went to uh, UConn, he won the Cy Young the one year. I think he had like 22 and two or something like that. Um, I like Boot. He's got range, he's got really good puck skill. And he's able to make plays despite how long he is in tight spaces. Like if you watch him, like he'll make plays uh, close to his body, around his feet, through people's feet, through people's bodies. So um, at times there's even enough in transition there that he's a threat off the rush. And when you're big like that, if you got enough speed on his own entry because you're so long, 
you're going to take the puck to an area on your zone entry that it's just hard for a defender to get out that far to defend that puck, if you guys know what I mean, because he's just so big. Um, really intriguing prospect. First round pick in my estimation. Tons of upside. But to your point, Shane, the Russian factor will be a factor uh, in relation to what his contractual obligation is over there. Uh, Brian, we should get into Dmitry uh, Simashev um, as well. And another, def- you know, uh, another Russian defenseman who's by all three of our standards, highly regarded. But once again, you know, you look at what's the risk reward of bringing him over. And if he was a North American player, where does he go in the draft? You know, sub- depending, you know, difference between you know him being a russian and him being say a canadian or an american so thoughts on him overall so he's he's one of the unicorns of this class you know i'm a 6'4 200 pound highly highly coordinated uh player who's for my money one of the top skaters in this class very rare do you see at this stage with a 6'4 frame how he's how he skates is very efficient uh the the thing that's interesting about this player is the untapped two-way potential uh, as of now he looks like a shutdown defenseman that eats minutes uh, it looks like the insulator we always talk about, but the most projectable of them all because of how he can skate and shut down players, use his length with the stick range, right? That's the, the reason, one of the reasons um, everybody wants larger defenders. Everybody thinks physicality first. It's not just physicality. Range matters everywhere. Range is extremely important when it comes to being able to close a gap more efficiently. You don't need, you also can have a higher rate of recovery. So one of the reasons we had Keandre Miller rank so high, it was because when he makes mistakes, his athleticism mixed with his range gives him fallback options. That's exactly like Dmitry Simashev. The thing that's interesting about this prospect is that when you look at his coordination, his handling ability, and his first phase of deception in small areas, it paints that he can break down uh, traffic. He's already, he already uses it on retrievals already uses on breakouts and create transitional zone entries with it. He's yet to apply himself correctly at the offensive line. If you give him time and then he can increase his rate of technical playmaking ability, you might get an elite two-way defender. Where does he go in the draft? It's very similar to Dylan Butte where I think there's a wide range, but for my money, he's a first round pick all day. I agree with that, by the way, Shane, I think that, uh, He's on the rise for me the more and more I break him down towards uh, getting towards the combine. And he does have a lot of uh, Gavrikov in his game. Uh, you know, like he reminds yeah. me of him a lot. Um, he's not necessarily punishing physically, but he uses that reach, Brad, to poke pucks away, you know, get in the way. Um, and then he'll sneak up on you on the offensive blue line. He'll walk a puck to the middle of the ice, distribute something back door off the seam. It's in there. It's in there. It just hasn't really materialized. I will say this to you guys. His numbers are pedestrian at the MHL level in terms of actually offensive production. And some teams will be very concerned about that. So they're going to have to really do their homework. Well, I mean, then you just break down process because sometimes it doesn't always accumulate into points from that standpoint. When I watch him play, I just think of the St. Louis Blues defense corps when they won. He's one of those players rangy in the way like makes a smart first pass like surprises you with a little bit of like offense and his capabilities like i think you just like in the nhl game i think his game translates better than the you know the majority of the defensemen are in these lists and i'm not i don't i'm not adverse taking risk on a russian i don't mind waiting because you're going to wait anyway like most of the time you're waiting anyway. So what's the extra, like, 
what's the difference between three years on one player and three years on another, or maybe you have to wait four. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. If I know, if I'm pretty sure the last nine years of that are going to be really good years. And what does every, every GM and coach want? You want those big lanky defensemen that have range and can smack some people around if they really have to. Uh, want to get your thoughts quickly on Mikhail Goliev. You know, obviously smaller offensive style defenseman, 5'10". Not many 5'10 defensemen play in the NHL. So for me, he's got to be special in a couple different areas to make up for that. So Jason, thoughts on him? Well, I think he is pretty special in a lot of those categories, to be honest with you. He's got, he escapes pressure. He's got real good feet. He can run a power play. Um, you know, am I am I going to sit here and lie to you and tell you that I think he's super elite enough to be a really high-end guy? I've seen some projections on him. I'm not there. You know, my past includes drafting guys like Ryan Ellis, for example, who was one of the smaller guys, uh, the first ones to come in. and But he can really rip a puck, right? So I see Guliev as more of a, a, a tra- two-way transitional, leading transitional more than two-way for me. Uh, bumper at best, area defender. So that's where it's going to become more difficult for him. Uh, but I do believe that he can run one of the power play units as a distributor. So I think he's got offensive upside and uh, and that's his attractive element. So good skater, offensive element. Those things went out for me. Brad? He reminds me a little bit of Jared Spurgeon. Uh, kind of like a Russian Jared Spurgeon. Uh, the, the thing, okay, this is the thing. When, when you have a defenseman this small, and he's small, right? There's not a big one. He has to be insulated, right? There's going to have to be insulation. But I'll give him this. You always want a smaller defenseman, multifaceted, meaning when, when you compare him to Pelika, Pelika will physically initiate when he has to. Mikhail Guliev will physically initiate when he wants to. There's a massive difference there. Guliev will torpedo into players similar to Kyler Yamamoto. It increases injury risk, which you have to factor in a ranking, but it means he'll also be far more physically involved, even when you don't need it. And that, for a smaller player, that sometimes is incredibly important because there's an intimidation factor that occurs and, and a give and take there between bigger power forwards versus him in a, say, theoretically a playoff series. So the big thing with Guliev is that his mental game supersedes for me the size disadvantage that you typically see with these smaller players. That's the one thing I'll say about Guliev that I really like about him. But uh, I'm, I'm 100% with Jason's analysis of what he is offensively i think he's much more of a puck mover i think he's a power play two guy he's not like a kill mccarr he's not this next level quinn Hughes. not like that but he's a very solid well-rounded defender who can do a lot of good things but again he's very 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 small so there is tremendous risk just based off his frame no matter what we think of him. we're going to take a quick break on hockey prospect rail we'll be back right after these messages every play Every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio and our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Part 2 brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. Through an integrative series of best business practices, we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. In the next two segments, we're going to talk about goaltenders that are eligible for this year's draft. And we're going to start with Michael Horable first. So, you two are the goalie guys, so I'm going to leave it in your capable hands. So we'll start with you, Jason. Thoughts on Michael Horable and where do you see his upside and then potentially where he goes in the draft? Because you know how it generally happens is one goalie goes and then teams start to cycle right behind them because they don't want to lose out on their guy. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes. So, I mean, the obvious with Horable, he's what everybody talks about as a new breed it's not really new, though, is it, guys, anymore? These big-body goalies in the NHL, I, I feel like we've been talking about they're using that line. It's been overused. It's, it's Big goalies have been the target for quite a while now, and obviously this kid's a massive, massive body in the net. So um, I call him a, a, a kind of a butterfly, a positional butterfly hybrid. He's really a combination of all three, if that makes sense. He has the ability to play deep in his net, can look a little bit lethargic moving east-west, but when you're as big as he is, I mean, you know, it's just the way that it is. He absolutely gave his uh, team a chance to win most nights at the uh, U18 tournament, uh, under siege a couple of times. Um, some of the things, his his year in the USHL, I would call it average plus. I, I wouldn't say that it was outstanding by any stretch, um, but I, I love the fact that he's going to college, first of all. I love the fact that his uh, coordination for a big body is on point. Um, I'd like to see him absorb a little bit more, Brad. You know, I'd like to see him catch some pucks a little cleaner. Um, I'd like to see him, you know, have a little bit more efficiency, increased battles. What I mean by that is that 
when pucks spill to his just off his pad to the right or the left, there's that little bit of a hiccup at times that I think you got to be a little bit quicker. And when he isn't really quick, quick, he opens up. I don't know if you noticed that, but he opens up quite a bit and a puck will sneak between his legs. So listen, I'm, I'm not being hard on him. I'm just pointing out some things that I see some deficiencies. Um, but having said that this goalie class is, is average plus overall for this draft. And uh, he's right in there to be potentially the first goalie off the board, if not the second. Yeah. To Jason's point, uh, not the strongest year in the USHL. Now, one, one thing about him is he was coming from Sparta's system over in Chechi U20. The thing with Sparta is they were the, the, the elite team in that junior league during his year he was there, meaning he had very much like a Spencer Knight situation. There were, there were nights where he was not facing a lot of pucks. Then he comes over to Omaha, and oh, he was facing a lot of rubber. There was a huge difference uh, in terms of the amount of shots he actually had to deal with on a nightly basis. I think what happened to him was the conditioning played a huge factor over the course of the season. When you see some of his peak performances earlier in the year, especially I remember one right out of the gate against the program. And was like, okay, this kid's the real deal, right? Didn't really see too many of those though down the stretch. And I really think the conditioning played a factor. We saw it the U18s. Remember exactly where Jason was sitting when we watched it, 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 it Chechia versus the U.S., right? We saw him against the program. By the, the third period starting, he was already incapable of getting back to a standing position when he was coming out of reverse VH off a of post, right? He's just, the conditioning is a massive factor, as you would expect it to be, with a naturally gifted 6'6 uh, goalie who's a first-year eligible. So the conditioning will really really go a long way into really evaluating what he is long-term in a way that honestly, we didn't really get to see this season. Uh, the other factor with him, he has a little bit of Ben Goudreau in him in, in the, in what I didn't like about Ben's game. Uh, Ben's a re-entry now. He was a San Jose draft, pick. he's been a re-entry in this draft class playing in Sarnia system is that uh, it's growing flexibility. So Jason mentioned the lateral mobility, not always being at the, the rate necessary to get across in time. Part of that. It, it, usually the focus on that is the edge work and, and the lateral push off as a result of miss, losing the edge and not getting across in time. With him, it wasn't as much that. It was either mis, mistiming the lateral pass and thinking it's a shot so he would go down too early and wouldn't be able to recover. Or it was when he did recognize the play, his lack of flexibility didn't allow him to actually enter into a full split or enter into a position that he, that he felt comfortable in. So he's got to improve his growing flexibility. He has to read lateral options in high danger areas at a, a better rate than he does on smaller ice, which you give him more time for because he's a European goalie who's come over. And then the conditioning, which, again, you give him more time for. Um, everything else is pretty darn solid. There's a reason that we're bringing him up now. right? This is a, this is a put-together goalie. He does have a lot of structure relative to his size. When you compare him and contrast him to a goalie like Damian Clara, for instance, uh, in, in J20, who, again, one of the top top-end goalies in this, pro, uh, this draft class, too, he's also same height. When you talk about the, the rawness factor, you're talking about Clara, you're looking five, six years out, where probably you might be looking actually three four years before he becomes more significant because he's further ahead that might play a factor in terms of how some of these nhl teams are determining which goal they want to take and where they might ultimately want to take robble let's talk about trey augustine as well starting with you jason thoughts on him as he went through the season at the program because that can be a blessing and a curse playing on that team uh, but you know how he came and played at the at the world juniors and then you know subsequent his game through the rest of the year into the u18s yeah, so he's the opposite of Rabel in terms of his flexibility and his tracking ability. He's shorter. I mean, everybody's shorter than the other kid, but uh, um, he tracks very well. He's got really quick feet, 
really quick pads down low. His his low ice coverage is, is very, very strong. Now, he does have to play taller in his crease. I mean, out towards the top of the blue paint more than Harabo does, for example, just because of his stature, which means that he's going to have to be um, really quick to his posts to make those secondary stops when his rebound control isn't on. Having said that, though, He's one of the best rebound control goalies in the draft for me. The way he directs pucks off his stick, off his pads, everything about where the puck goes after he makes a save, I like it. I like it a lot, actually. Um, it is a trap to play on that team. They're a wagon. We know that. But at the Worlds, especially if, if, if anybody wants to go back and look at some tape, in the gold medal game, he made a sequence of saves with the game on the line, with a minute left, that were it was just sensational. At the World Juniors, he benefits from the experience, but it exposes him uh, mentally. I think that he ran out of gas between the ears. That was a big ask for the kid. Um, I've got him one right now on my list, guys, to be perfectly honest. He's going to Michigan State. He's going to see a lot of pucks there at Michigan State as well. Um, but I like his athleticism, and I like this focus. Uh, a couple of things that won out for me at the end of the year. Yeah, he's, uh, I think, the most technically efficient goalie in this class right now. I think it's him and Jacob Fowler. When you look at in terms of structure, where they are, in terms of their technical aspects, they're the furthest ahead in this class. Uh, the, the thing with Trey Augustine, uh, Jason mentioned it briefly, is he had to do well at the U18s to me. Uh, the mental performance needed to be there in a critical game. And he came through. And and Jason talked about at the end of the game, he made huge saves. He also made huge saves that beginning of the game to make sure it wasn't out of reach. So right. uh, he he had an excellent performance there. Uh, and, and one thing that I really like about him, and you, you get to really navigate this more with a goalie on the program, again, going back to Spencer Knight, is there's going to be stretches in games where they have to be able – to stay mentally dialed in despite not getting a lot of shots. I felt Augustine did a very good job of that this season. When I was tracking him, when I was watching the stretches in between, when he wouldn't get shots, I would look to see how he did in high danger areas. And he was very good. He performed very, very well when he was uh, called upon out of nowhere to make a huge save. That's a good sign. That said, when you compare him to Dustin Wolf, UC Saros, Devin Levi, I do think he's under all of them. Uh, from where he was at the same age. I don't think, I, st I still struggle if he's an actual starter. I think he plays, but in my I go back and forth if I really think he's a bona fide starter or do I think he's a very good 1B. I think he plays, just trying to figure that out. That's part of the that's part of the pain of being a goalie scout. <laughs> trying to figure out exactly what they end up being. I mean, Arter Silos is a goalie I wrote. I talked to his agent all year. I tracked him. I did everything I could with Arter Silos. In the end, I said, you know what? I think he could be the glass goalie on my on my list, but I don't think he's going to play full time in the NHL. Well, look at him now, right? And this is this is why I bring this up because I'm a human being. I make mistakes. Meaning, of course, Trey Augustine might be able to be a starter. I just can't see it at this time. I think maybe more one B, but very interesting goalie, very very technically gifted, laterally very explosive. And what Jason said, the tracking. There's only one goal who tracks as well as him in this draft, and that's Jacob Fowler. Um, and, and he's more laterally explosive than Fowler, but also a little bit smaller. So there's a, there's a bit of back and forth there. But uh, Augustine is definitely one of the top goalie prospects in this draft. Very interesting one. We're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio in our last segment at uh, the end, hour one. We'll continue to talk about goaltenders with Brad Allen and Jason Buchler right after these important messages. Every play. Every stat, every breakdown, on their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. 
Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio on our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Part 2. Brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting through an integrated series of best business practices. They design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. We are continuing to talk about goaltenders for this year's draft crop. There's a few more, but we're just going to chat about four in totality. So let's start with Car- um, Carson Bjarnason. Thoughts on him, Jason, because here's a guy, you know, obviously he played a lot of games with Brandon, uh, faced a lot of rubber, and then went into the U18s. And I think everybody was really intrigued to see what was going to happen. And he got peppered hard. And things kind of unraveled for him. And it was, I think it was more mental fatigue than anything. He just looked like he was just like, you know, somebody's at the end of a race and they just want to get to the end of it. And they just look like they clearly have looked like they have nothing left in the tank upstairs. That's what it looked like for me. And that's going to happen with young goalies. They're going to run out of gas in these critical situations. And as they get older and stronger and, you know, physically fitter and mentally and emotionally fitter, that tends to mitigate itself, but that's what I saw particularly at the U18s. Yeah, I think that you're, I think you're correct in saying that. I mean, so in season, I thought the kid um, had some spectacular nights. I really did. Like there was, you know, Brandon didn't have any business being in some games. He has that ability and he's shown the ability to be able to steal a game already at the major junior level. 
Um, and, and he could be one of those guys that less will be a lot more when he gets to be a pro. And what I mean by that is that he's not going to have to face as many high danger stops. It's not going to be such an exhausting event every night to, to your job is to stop the puck and you're going to have to do whatever it takes every night. I get it. But you know, there's certain teams that you play for while you're developing the, which is the exact opposite of Augustine, for example, you're going to see a lot more and you're going to, you know, you're going to get worn out. Um, some of the things that, uh, that you like about the kid, uh, he's got great characters. Uh, we, we interviewed him at the sports night at the top prospects game, really great kid. Um, you know, small town, you know, he's really put together. I believe that he's driven. I believe that he's focused. I believe he's a great team guy. Um, size is a bonus, right? So, when he plays between the posts and he sits tall, um, you know, he, he, he takes up a lot of net and it's, it's uh, his position is generally sound. Um, there's some moments, Brad, I'm very concerned. And, and what I mean by this is that um, especially at the worlds, he really got outside his posts a few times. So, you know, puck tracks to his, his glove side, uh, his recovery is with his left leg well outside the left post already to try and get back to the right side, if you will. You can only travel so far uh, with that amount of strength. He needs more strength in his lower half. And, he, you know, he short legs going back. And he exposes himself a little bit because of that, right? Um, the other thing is uh, when he does get fatigued, like a lot of young goalies, he doesn't – he's not very tall in his butterflies. So he goes from being a tall 6'3 to, you know, a 5'11 guy just because of his stature when he's down. So um, there's a lot to like, but there's some holes and some work to be done. I think that there's a solid foundation. I think the mechanics are sound. I believe more strength and then more mental um, strength in terms of uh, answering the bell. I'll put it to this way. I, he reminded me a little bit of Reed uh, uh, Dick last year who went to the Worlds. Bjarnason gave me that feeling this year as well, running out of gas chain. So I think that's a good example. He reminded me of Brent Cron, Calgary Hitman back in the day. Same kind of goaltender. So, you know, uh, I'm I'm, intri I'm intrigued to see what uh, he's going to be like. Uh, we should also, uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on him as well, Brad, then we'll get into uh, Jacob Fowler. Okay, sure. I'll, I'll touch on Bjornsson very briefly. The, the He reminds me of Jesper Wallstead in some ways when he's on his game. He reminds me of Jesper Wallstead in some ways when he's off his game. Meaning, uh, Jason, Jason mentioned the word, recovery rates. Uh, Bjornsson is a goalie who has to be in position, has to be set uh, in a way that that's at a higher rate relative to some other goalies just because the scrambling mechanisms are not there. He's not a he's not a highly laterally explosive goalie. The athletic the athleticism is not at the same rate that you would typically want to see in most NHL starters. That said, when it comes to when when he's on, he's really on. And that's it's it comes down to mental preparedness, game readiness. Being, being on more than he's off. What happened down the stretch was that he was way off more than he was on. He That bled into his U18 performance. Uh, so that raises a lot more questions and answers. More variables means that you usually put him a little further back because you think about the risk factor uh, in what he is. That said, uh, honest, very interesting goalie long-term. Uh, and, and he kind of sums up this, this goalie class where uh, Jason said it was – plus average that's that's about right it, going in we thought it was going to be an elite class a uh, very good class i feel like it has simmered down a little bit and one of the reasons bjarnison however i bring that up because the one goalie that did simmer and simmered late was jacob fowler 
Jacob Fowler had an exceptional end of the season. Last two, three months of the year, he was really dialed in, looked extremely consistent. Jacob Fowler uh, reminds me a lot of Jeremy Swayman. Reminds me a ton of Jeremy Swayman and a little bit of Carter Hart. A little bit of Carter Hart to throw in there too. So the, the thing with Jacob Fowler is not athletically very gifted either in terms of lateral explosiveness. So lateral transfer rates are not going to be the highest end. What he does that a lot of these other goalies uh, don't do with the same rate is he almost never drops into a butterfly and mistimes it when he doesn't need to. When he's integrated into his post from a standing position, he never drops down to his reverse rate too early. Almost all of these goalies do. At this age of development, you almost always see it. Almost always make note. When I'm making my notes, I almost always have to bring up stayed in a reverse phase too long or entered it too early. Jacob Fowler, I've had to make notes saying the exact opposite. He's unbelievably dialed in and, and very sophisticated when it comes to his post play. Uh, I felt like that transferred into, into, uh, into the playoffs where any times he was having to replay down low because his, his position was so good when he's integrated into his post, allowed him to track really well from low to high. Uh, low to high danger uh, situations. Um, the thing with him, though, is there's a ceiling, right? When you look at Hrabel's ceiling, Damian Clara's ceiling, um, it's some of Bjornison's ceiling. When you look at the ceilings relative to his, his is a bit lower. And that's the give and take is the, the floor to ceiling ratio. Floor's higher, ceiling's lower. So there's some middle ground there, but very well-rounded goal. Well, when you talk about this kid, I mean, he's going to have a, an enormous opportunity ahead of him, isn't he? He's going to BC, and they're going to be really good. Like Boston College have got a they're gonna fantastic – yeah, they're going to be loaded. So that's going to be uh, interesting from a development perspective. You know, you, you want to know where a kid's going and if he's going to get in net and, and, you know, if he's going to be able to carry the load. And, you know, they could win a national championship in short order at BC. I think that's how good they're going to be. Um, one thing that sticks out for me uh, uh, here, guys, is – I think there's a fitness issue. I really do. I think he carries too much weight. Um, I think that uh, that is something that can be worked on. I mean, that's a choice, right? Fitness is a choice. Diet is a choice. Um, his weight kind of fluctuated a bit. Um, at times, I think he was up over 205 or so. And that's, you know, for his stature, they 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 call it 6'2". I don't know what he's measured at, 6'1 and a half, whatever he is right now. Um, I think that uh, less weight will, you know, result in a little bit more quickness. Um, having said that, though, I really like his crease composure. I really like how he follows the play. I also think that he's got really good feet. Like When pucks are around him and there's second chances, he's he'll surprise you how quick his feet are. He makes a lot of really good, in tight, quick kind of pad or toe saves or whatever. Um, and he's rarely, if ever, outside his post. This is a guy for me that, I mean, he stays in the paint. He tracks it. He's not out of out of range of where he's got to be, Brad. So, hey, I I, I just I trust him. I, I don't know how else to say it. I, I when I watch him, I say that's a trustworthy looking goalie. He's not busy, you know, and he's not uh, he's not all over the map. And a lot of upside here. He's he's a name to keep a very close eye on because somebody yeah, might step really on somebody might step on this kid. Like second round, taking taking him in that kind of area. He's definitely going in the first run of goalies, in my estimation. What I'm saying to you is don't be surprised if he's in the first couple. Like, that wouldn't surprise me in the least. I think that's actually possible. Yeah, and, and you got to give him some credit. Like, he made that run with Youngstown to the finals and won. And, won. and the USHL, that's, that's a tough league for goaltenders sometimes. Like, there's a lot of action in front of them. And, you know, making a long run in the playoffs says something about, you know, mentally staying dialed in. Because I think he was a 952 save percentage in the playoffs. I mean, 
It wasn't a it ton was, of games. It was 952. It was 952. And I think, what did he go, 8-1 or something like that? I mean, it was, yeah. it was really eight and one. unbelievable, unbelievable run. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, to me, that says something about you know his ability to get dialed in and then just make a run and just carry the team, and he carried the team. So curious to see what he's going to do in Boston College. But uh, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned for Hour 2. We'll be back right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is hour two of our 2023 NHL Draft Preview, part two, and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and study to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're now happy to bring in Pat Malloy, our resident skills coach, uh, as well as general manager and head coach for the Smith, Ball, Smith Falls Bears. We're going to talk about a couple players that your your clients are yours, so we can get some insight. I always find it great to be able to get different perspectives on players. And and one of the guys you worked with in the past is Oliver Bonk, who plays for the London Knights defenseman, six uh, one and about one hundred and eighty pounds, right handed shot. Thoughts on him, Pat in terms of what you saw early on um, as you were working with him and the progression he made and some sort of things that you observed in that time frame. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he's got all the tools that that I think you'll look for when it when it comes to being a prospect. I mean, he's obviously young and growing into his body and, and developing some of that athleticism that comes, you know, as you grow and sort of you know start to figure your motor patterns out as as the way you move as you grow quickly because he had a you know quite a spurt and and popped up over the six foot mark and and so really it's all just sort of bringing it together to get him moving uniformly um you know but he does a lot of things well he he moves well in in sort of peripheral movements his puck skills are good um but i think like any young defenseman you know a lot of what we're trying to do is is help him a understand to skate the game and then b sort of catch his puck skills up and some of his choice making in terms of, of the package and just help learn the game in terms of how can he make an impact on it and be, you know, controlled in the way that he plays it. As a part of that, just linking his hands into his playmaking ability so they can be a little more manipulative out of the gate. So he doesn't telegraph his intentions. Yeah. I mean, my first exposure to him, you could see that he had some skill, but it was sort of detached from, you know, we've talked about it on this show before those three systems, you know, the, the system of mind, the system of hand and the system of feet and sort of connecting those three things has really been something, especially when a player gets a growth spurt and has a bit of skill to their game, you know, getting it to work in unison, those three systems, you might, you know, I'll call them, you know, your, your brain for the game, your, your skill or your hands for the game, and then your mobility or your feet for the game. You know, connecting those three things is is something, especially for young defensemen, that's key if if they're going to play, you know, in the long term. Thoughts in terms of, uh, I guess I would categorize it as more uh, mental, emotional attributes, things that you looked at his game and go, okay, these are things he's going to need to improve, you know, as he moves on into the Ontario Hockey League, but then as he moves on towards, you know, pro hockey but what are the things that some things that you observed that you saw, okay, there's a foundation, but these things got to be worked on. Cause when the talent pool compresses, you know, it's going to be the best players that he's going to have to face on a nightly basis. I think for me, it's just, you know, to try to develop the assertiveness to the way that he plays, um, you know, imposing his will a little bit more in terms of engagement, um, you know, closing off, creating attack angles, defending, and then recognizing and understanding from an offensive perspective, attack angles, um, you know, offensive attack angles versus, you know, defensive ta- attack angles when he's closing off or, or trying to, you know, to finish plays or end plays uh, before they become problematic defensively. Um, those would be things I think that it's, I don't want to say that it's new age thinking, but it's really, it's really having players understand that absorbing plays and, and, you know, territory and, and giving up space is not the way, you know, recognizing reading and ending things before they become problematic. So a little bit more of a proactive approach to his play. And then again, linking his skills, you know, to his, eye, to his hands and, and to his feet, um, you know, and his understanding of situational awareness is, is always something that we'll try to stress. It's part of that too. come down to the fact that if he can physically initiate, he's the one who gets to control the fallout where one thing we've, I've noticed a lot about Oliver Bonk this season is very cerebral. It reminds me a lot um, of Isaac Lundestrom, who's, a, who's actually a center out of Sweden at the same age, but in terms of mental makeup and how they operate, there was almost too much of a cerebral one gear note to Lundestrom. And that continued up into coming to Anaheim system. I feel like Oliver Bonk is almost a defensive equivalent in some respects. So how, from, how, from that perspective, how do you counteract that as a development? What do you look to say and do? 
you, what you try to do is you put them in, in sort of a, a, a constraints led approach. You want to put them into situations you'll find himself in and, and see where he'll air to, to solve the problem with his current processing and skill set, but then challenge him to look for different opportunities where you can be more assertive or you can be uh, a little bit more of the mindset that you'll initiate and try to dictate terms of the play versus just allowing it to unfold and trying to deal with the fallout. Um, and so really putting him in situations and having him recognize, you know, what is the constraint and what is the workaround based on his ability to process and then apply the skill that he possesses is really the process that we would use to try to get him to where he's, you know, most effective as, as you guys have put it, you know, when the, when the talent pool compresses and everything goes up, you know, are we able to, do we have that transient ability to do that? And that's, that's really the approach that we're trying to take with him. When I've seen him play, it, it almost feels like his default setting is to play the neutral zone trap is to play like, you know, the Minnesota wild did in the early two thousands is just, just like take the onslaught, just take the pounding and just do whatever you can do and then get the puck out. But it's really, but he defends with stick and not always body. It's always seems to be his first default is always stick, which is fine, but there's a point where you're going to have to engage. And I just don't, it's like, he's hesitant to do that. And it's always like he's playing a prevent defense all the time. Yeah. You know, as we know, hockey's an invasion based sport and it's, it's really, you know, giving up territory and allowing someone to invade valuable space is an issue. And so recognizing killing plays early and, and the level of aggression that that requires and, you know, sort of complementing that idea of level of aggression with the ability to create favorable outcomes is something that, you know, especially in today's world, minor hockey players coming through don't necessarily have those understandings. And so everybody's a little different in their development in terms of getting to that point. And, you know, I think with him, sometimes, you know, the idea might be that safe is, is good and safe is safe, but there's the other side of it, safe is death. And that's not that we want people running around all over the ice forcing things, but it's, you know, really starting to understand the idea of creating favorable environments for you to dictate the outcome of the play. Yeah. I know. And that's an interesting point that you make up in terms of, because, you know, I've found through, you know, conversations and research, particularly in cognitive performance that, human beings under duress, we never rise to the challenge. They, they talk about it on TV, rising to the challenge, but we don't do that naturally. We fall to the level of our training. And if your habits are X, you're going to get X in your output. So it's about, for you, is it about giving him more tools in that toolbox and understand X works in these situations, but you're going to need Y in this situation and Z in this situation. Yeah, and just recognizing the power of disruption, um, you know, and it's it's maybe getting them to idle a little bit higher, higher if that makes sense. Get the RPMs up a little bit so that, you know, I like to use the word torque. Why do you pay more for a performance sports car? Well, there's torque when you push when you push the gas, it pulls you back into the seat, and there's that, you know, there's that torque component. Well, it's it's the same thing, you know, with a player. Is there when you push the gas? Is there that torque? Are we, are we able to get the RPMs up quickly um, to be able to finish a play to, you know, to recognize pinching off a play down low before it becomes sustained possession of the other team. And now we're into switches and turns and, 
you know, or could it have been something that if we'd had the RPMs where they needed to be, could we close it off and end it before it became problematic? Do you think it that becomes problematic when the opposition recognizes that's your style and then they try to exploit it? 100%. I mean, you're seeing it now with what's going on in, in the playoffs and you see it every year. It's two different games. Um, you know, the, the people that can disrupt and they can end things before they become problematic allows, you know, more and more, you know, potentially marginal possession players. And obviously the further it goes, the marginal guys are gone, but the longer you allow something to exist, the, the more you're allowing it to become problematic because fallout can happen. And, and so, you know, the idea of, of putting the fire out before it burns the forest down is really something that for young defensemen learning the game, you know, put the fire out before it burns the forest down in your own end of the ice. And um, as you see, it's always little missed assignments or it's always little missed chances to end things that end up in the back of the net this time of year. And, and I think if everyone, you know, most organizations, they want to play for a championship, um, you know, at the end of the day, you want people that can end things before they become problematic and potentially end your season. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back 
on our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Show and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're speaking with Pat Malloy, player development skills and skating coach. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Quentin Burns. And Pat, thoughts on him as, you know, he's not the biggest guy at 6'1", 180 pounds. Um but as a defenseman who plays for Kitchener, the kid plays with balls. He's got nails. Like he's, there's a little bit of like, there's some BX of battle in him in that respect. Is like, he's just not afraid to do whatever it takes to ensure that you don't go anywhere near his net. It's his net. Like he's just like, he's got a bit of a pit bull mentality in that. And those are the guys that teams tend to like look at late and go, if we give him enough time in the American Hockey League, could he come up and be a six for us and kill penalties and just be a total menace to like have to deal with for forwards? Yeah, you know, I mean, the the, this, the old saying goes, you'd rather have to dial a guy down than than dial a guy up, and and he's just he's wired that way. He's a disruptive guy. He's a disruptive player. He's got that. You know, it's it's sad to say because as much as the game has changed, as much as the game is the same, he, he's got that grit and that bite to his game that you don't necessarily teach. You've either got that dog in you or you don't, and, and he is definitely a guy that's got that dog in him. I remember when he was in the U18s, one thing that really stood out to me seeing him live was just how, how nasty he is in that front and just how he gets underneath guys and he uses his leverages correctly. I feel like – He's, he's a throwback defender, but the way he goes about it is not just trying to overrun players. He's pretty smart about his instincts when, and he, he knows how to like um, basically go between them. When he needs to be smart, he can that front, but when he needs to just run at a guy, he can as well. Do you feel there's a good balancing act there? Yeah, and he's he's an interesting skater because his center of gravity is so good. He's He's well positioned for those finite battles, if you will. Not so much the open ice stuff I'm talking about, but those finite area battles in and around the net, close quarter type stuff where he's he's really good at finding timing that disrupts you and and taking the appropriate line to, to uh, ensure that you're sort of nullified as a threat um, in sort of close combat stuff. And, and that's, again, that's instinctual. That's tough stuff to learn because there's not only the, the courage component that comes into it, but then there's this, you know, the skating portion of it, the postural portion of that skating that allows you to hold your footing and and not just become a mess, if that makes sense. And, and he's got that in spades. One of the things I noticed about him is that he gets on players' hands when he's in tight quarter battles, like because skill players hate having their hands hit. So he immediately goes on it, but he's not just focusing on the hands. He gets that body underneath the armpit a lot. I find he tries to push a lot on hips and underneath armpits and small the back, um, back of the knees, anywhere where, you know, the, uh, the forward is vulnerable, but also it's a leverage point, right? Because that's where joints are. And I find he does a really good job of, of that in those kind of small area battles. 100%. And, he, and he's disruptive. I think he enjoys it. In fact, I know that he enjoys it. He's, you know, there's there's those players that don't crave um, conflict. I think he craves it. I think he enjoys it. And that's, you know, one of those X factor things that players like that are so, so valuable and that um, the path of least resistance is such an easy one. And this guy craves that uncomfortable situation 
more than than a lot of guys that I've seen. I think he is offensively packed. Do you feel he's more than just a streamlined vanilla stay at home shot from the line when he when he gets it, he just tries to get it off his stick and get it deep quick? Or where do you think he is developmentally offensively? I think we've got some work to do from the perspective of rounding out his game because it's it's such a skewed thing that players I find coming out of minor these days. Um, there was such a tilt and emphasis on let's create skilled puck moving defensemen. And I think that's kind of gotten into the minds of players almost too literal, if that makes sense. And so for me, I think it's trying to create a two-way presence in him and recognizing the power of, you know, closing off, disrupting, gaining a puck, moving it, but then joining, generating your offense that way by being close to the play. Um, not getting caught standing up big and tall like a lot of defensemen like to do in offensive zone sequences, staying set down and ready to be able to apply mobility to create small pockets of time to put pucks to better areas and those sorts of things. So I, I think that he's a little bit raw there still. I think there's upside and I think there's there's work to do just in terms of recognizing what being a player that can apply some skill offensively actually looks like in 2023 um, versus, you know, coming out of minor where I'm a skilled defenseman, because I think that the line is skewed a little bit in terms of what that means as a player, you know, exits minor into junior and then ultimately into the pro perspective. When I watch him play, and that's not always fair, but, you know, to, we're not going to compare him to players, but stylistically, and I mentioned the name already, Kevin BX, in terms of the nationalists, but I can see some of, like, Chris Tanev. Like, if he can sort of harness, like, what he does with the puck and understand, look, it, it, you don't have to make it simple, but, you know, there is the best option available. And just don't hesitate and use it, right? Because your forward just wants to take the puck and go, right? You don't have to dance around and waste time just to get just to get it up the ice. Now it doesn't mean you have to make a bad option play, but you know, for him, I think it's really if he recognizes that, it's just like forwards love it when you just like get them the puck as quick as you possibly can so that they're ahead. They're, nobody there's less time to react to them. Well, oftentimes I think, you know, I don't I don't think there's any surprise when we talk about the idea that your first read's typically your best. And so that's sort of clearing you know, the water, it's, it's taking the mud out of the water to recognize not everything has to be skillful in the way that it's applied. If an eight foot pass to a forward and jumping to space is the play, that's the most skillful play. And typically your first one is the best. Your, your first reads the best read. You don't have to dance someone three times and, and fade off of them and make a backhand pass to, to space for it to be considered skillful. You know, you look at the best defensemen in the world, they look like they're not playing a very strenuous game. And yet, you know, they'll show up on the score sheet as 25 minutes, two or three, you know, assists or obviously a plus. They make the game look simple because they don't let the things they can't do get in the way of the things that they can. Do you feel that he's physically uh, filled out? Where do you feel he is in terms of his structure, because for shutdown defensemen, typically now you look at, you know, Yanni Hackabobber is now 6'5", 220, right? You're looking at usually big boys. How, he's a little shorter. Where do you feel he is in terms of his power and in terms of his strength and static strength? I, I think he's got room to grow still. Just, you know, looking at his physical makeup, um, looking at where I think he is in terms of peak height velocity or that, you know, that puberty curve. I think there's room to grow there. I think he's got a for sure room to fill out and B I don't know that he's done growing yet um, from what I've seen, which is, you know, again, an exciting thing. And obviously when, 
when NHL teams are doing their their looks at them and, and their their background info, I think they'll find the same thing that that you know that that trajectory that runways we're not at the end of it yet. So um, to me, that would be you know an exciting prospect because I don't think he's done. There's room to a grow and b fill out, um, and his frame can handle it for sure. Uh, see, I'm glad Brad brought that up because if you look at Kevin Bieck, you think he's a pretty big guy. He's six one two hundred five, like he's not that big, right? But he's got a real like he is power to weight ratio is excellent. Like Chris Tanev isn't that big of a guy, right? So you can do it. Um, and you know, maybe it's just not typical. We try to look at the those behemoths that are going to defend, but um, these type of players in Quentin Burns, I, I find these defensemen interesting because I think there's a place for guys like that. The guys who have the, you know, dog on a bone, um, you know, the Troy Stetchers of the world, like, although he's much smaller, but just battles and battles and battles. Um, and I think well, they, those guys kind of find their way. Bite and competitiveness and then a disruptive mindset that sort of craves that, that conflict. Um, that's that whole flight or, you know, fight or flight concept. And, you know, this guy's, you know, in my experience, he's a guy that digs in and he's, he's willing to go the fight route. Um, and, you know, how valuable are those people that are willing to stand in when it's tough? Um, so I, I, I'd be excited about him for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we've noticed that particularly in the playoffs again, I think sometimes we go through 82 games in the NHL and we forget. And then we get into the first round of the playoffs and we go, Oh, that's right. That's how hockey ends up getting played. Right. And then what do you want to do? And you, you know, those guys end up making, you know, the difference at the end of the day, uh, Pat, thank you very much for coming on the show. Always appreciate great insight. Look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back on Hockey Prospect Radio right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. 
Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, bantam, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and brought to you by Outside Edge Hockey, hockey player development at outsideedge.ca. This is our final two segments for part two of our four-part 2022 NHL Draft Preview Show. We're happy to bring on, once again, uh, a continuing guest of ours and Pat Malloy. He is a skills and skating development coach and he's worked in the NHL, has a great list of clients. Pat, thank you very much for coming on the show again. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, we, the topic I wanted to discuss with you again, we sort of touched on it in previous segments last year, but I want to delve a little bit farther into it as it pertains to the NHL draft. So I want your thoughts on kind of the synergistic approach to scouting data science, player development, human performance, which includes the mental coaching side, as it leads into the NHL draft when you're evaluating prospects that you're going to draft and bring into your organization. Yeah, yeah, we, we touched on this in a previous segment, but it, it was certainly just a touch. Uh, I think one of the big things that we see now is that um, the synergistic approach to the whole person, to the whole athlete, is something you know a lot of organizations are starting to look at, whether it be behavioral science, whether it be you know I know the combine is a great example. We all you know we'll, we'll check players out from the physical uh, aptitude perspective and and how do we you know, what's their wingspan and what's their lower body power at 18 years old and and what's the growth curve in terms of how we can develop the athlete. You know a, a lot of things when I talk synergistic from one department to the next, it's how can we take that data and, and figure out what can we do from a skill perspective? You know, is there still trajectory um, that that department along with the player development department can, can connect to from the mental side of things? I think that might be one of the most untapped areas, um, you know, behavioral science, the behavioral skills of person we're bringing into the organization. What sorts of things are we able to do to find out, you know, at that, at that person's curve when they're 18 years old and, and where do we think we can go with it? So, yeah, I, I think it's exciting times, but I, I do think there's so much room to grow in our industry in terms of things we're able to do um, to make a more holistic approach to how we bring someone into an organization and then develop them to be their best version of themselves, um, you know, by joining our organization. You know, and I, and I find that really interesting in the fact that, so what I look at it is trying to figure out in, in many respects, how that player is motivated. Now in hockey, like we've all seen where intrinsic or the, you know, external motivation and how much do teams, coaches, teammates, parents, community, how much pressure is put upon these players and how much is that external motivation having them, pushing them to play? And then how much is it intrinsic, which is the internal motivation from that standpoint, 
because that directly affects what you know your department can do in player development and then that's how the you know the behavioral sciences can help figure out like let's understand how how this person is motivated because if it is say more skewed towards external that's when players begin to not push them not push themselves or have a growth mindset to get to a certain point because external motivation has a is a limiting factor it's not self-perpetuating it's going to die out and if you're more than 50 percent on the external side down the road there's going to be a problem and you're going to have limitations can you talk about you know what that means in terms so when you recognize that with the work that you're doing that, okay, do I have to make a different approach? And how does that would help you in terms of a synergistic approach from, you know, just not an evaluation side, but then, you know, the development side as well. You know, a complete markup on sort of how that player ticks, what the value of that is, is huge. You know, not only from a development perspective, you know, from a coaching perspective, recognizing, you know, yeah, what motivates a player, um, go go a step further on the mental side. How does a player learn? Um, so how are they motivated? How do you know? How do they learn? What are stressors? You know, what are things that that help them mitigate stress? What are stressors that that impact their performance? I, I mean, for me, and obviously, you know, there's there's limiting factors, I suppose, in access to a prospect uh, early on. Um, but you got to think that there's a way that, that the industry can grow into this and that, you know, that full markup on recognizing all of the different mental aspects, whether it's, um, you know, pattern recognition, I know that this year, and, and I know that it's gone on for a little, a little bit of time where, you know, teams will, will bring a prospect in and they'll look at pattern recognition. I'd want to know, you know, for sure, can they recognize recurring patterns? Can they recognize sort of, you know, based on environment next play? sorts of things. But I also want to know what sort of stress does that place on them? Making those reads, making those reads in real time. Um, what sort of stress, how does that stress impact their ability? Do they lock up? Do they seize up? Um, so there's so many ways I think that that, that helps not only from a, a developmental perspective, because it really allows you to, to not do the cookie cutter player development program. It really becomes more individualized that, you know, player X needs these things on the mental side you know, we know that they need these things on the physical side and that impacts their, their skill ability or their skating ability from the physical side um, so that you can really create, you know, a, an individualized plan that allows that player to become, um, you know, the best version of themselves for sure, um, but really you know, increase their value within the organization. Have you noticed when you're trying to uncover that information, particularly how a player learns and I give credit to, to Dave King, longtime coach, not only in the NHL internationally as well for Hockey Canada. He made a really interesting point about differentiating between the decisions a player makes and the choices a player makes. And decisions he categorized, and I thought it was really very well done, is that you know, you're coming out of your zone, you recognize the options you have to make, you make this, the decision to move the puck here. And then there's choices. I'm coming down the wall we need to get, I need to chip this puck out. We're under, we're under siege. And we've been on, on the ice for like a minute, a minute and a half. We're getting hemmed in and I'm going to get hammered by somebody coming in full bore, like a Tom Wilson. 
Yep. And then you got it. Like, what do you do in that circumstance or your desperation in the last two minutes and you're trying to hold the lead and you're getting hemmed in your own zone and a guy with a wicked hard slap shot just tees up and you, you have to make the choice whether you go to block it or not. So talk about the difference between decisions and choices because choices are, you know, you're going to feel some pain. There's going to be a severe negative impact to you personally. Can you talk about sort of that difference in terms of when you're trying to um, bring some synergy to that type of data into what, into player development. And then how do you recognize that going forward with a player before you even draft them? Yeah. You know, that, that's a great, that's a great comment. You know, this season I I had the chance, I sat down with a, with a PhD in behavioral science with regard to hockey players and in a hockey, you know, team setting. And, and we talked about a lot of these sorts of things. And, and one of those things when you talk about choice is, you know, that gives you such a read on a player um, because ultimately they make that choice based on what's best for the group or what's best for them in, in many cases. And so, you know, stressors and different things will certainly impact that. So, you know, the choice is something that I, I think as an organization, you would want to know. What choice, how is this player wired to make choices for the benefit of the group, for the benefit of themselves? And obviously, you know, fear plays a role. If you're about to eat one from Shea Weber uh, from the point because it's good for the group, that choice impacts, yes, it impacts you. It ultimately impacts the group. And, and that choice says a lot about how that player might be wired um, in, in terms of, of making that choice. So um, I, I think that information is you know, having those types of people be able to dig into a prospect's mind and what sort of makes them tick from that perspective. But having players recognize that and, you know, starting that at an earlier age where they recognize the power of choice and then the power of decision-making. You know, I I think that the mental component of how prospects are developed um, is something that is is a little bit behind for sure. Um, There's room for that to grow. And of course, as the science and the data grows in terms of our ability to impact that, on the developmental side of things, I think it's, it's nothing but good things, you know, for our game. You know, and I find that aspect extremely fascinating as, you know, the industry continues to evolve and we start integrating best business practices from other industries and other, you know, uh, academic disciplines and domains to help make better decisions overall, because you're trying to project a 17, 18 year old kid into a 23 year old man. And that's just a, it's not an easy thing to do. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but we'll be back right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, bantam, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and brought to you by Outside Edge Hockey, Hockey Player Development at OutsideEdge.ca. I'm speaking with Pat Malloy, Player Development Coach and Skills Coach. Uh, he's worked with the NHL and has a great clientele of, of players that are coming up into the NHL. In the NHL, uh, we're continuing the topic of a synergistic approach to scouting data science, player development, human performance, leading to NHL draft. Uh, Pat, I want to ask you about when you're working with players, because that, in terms of player development, you have to work with you know the skill on on ice, but you also have to delve into the mental emotional because you're the you're the person who's dealing with that player on a more regular basis, perhaps more than the human performance side and the mental coaches. So you're there on a more daily basis. You have to integrate a lot of that work in. I want to ask you about more meta skills in terms of you know mastering your strengths and they will improve your weaknesses in terms of sort of like the the form of adaptability and inside adaptability there's creativity resilience and self-awareness and talk about when you're working with a player and recognizing situations and where those meta skills come into play and then how to strengthen those meta skills and players yeah I, I mean a lot of times in in skating or skill development you know people think that it's you know we're working on this skill or this move um, and, and maybe there are some technical corrections at times that you make, but, but being frank, you know, a lot of the work specifically with draft eligibles, with higher end players, with players that are currently in the national hockey league, what you're, you're really starting to do is figure out, all right, what strengths do you possess and how well, and in what frequency do we use those versus worrying about the things that we can't do? 
Um, how do we how do we create a situation where we recognize triggers to be able to to get people defending us, our opponent, to do things they're trained not to do? So you know, a lot of it becomes very mental in the beginning and and almost in its application in that um, dictating the terms or the outcome of a situation, be it a puck possession sequence. Um, being getting to a certain part of the ice, you know, to to increase our ability to create a quality chance versus a chance. Um, how do we force a defender? How, you know, if it's on the defensive side of the puck, what things can we do that play to our strength, to my strength as a player in the area that I'm responsible for, um, to to get someone to go to a place where we know the numbers are in our favor. And and obviously we don't want the player thinking about, I got to get this player to go here. But what we try to do is, is, is recognize, A, our strengths and play to them, uh, recognize frequency of event. So, you know, having players recognize, if I do something really well, how do we increase your opportunity to do those things really well by having you in those situations, you know, more frequently? And so that, that's something that, you know, from the player development perspective or from a skill development perspective, the skills are the skills. Application certainly becomes... Um, a huge part of what we'll do and what we'll talk about um, because at the end of the day, I think we've all seen, you can, you can have all the skills in the world if they're not applied in the proper ways, if we can't recognize where, when um, to apply them in settings that really create advantage for us, then, then skill is great, but it just becomes a word at that point. Well, then how does that, from your perspective in terms, because what you're trying to build in a player is adaptability, and inside of the adaptability for a meta skill, you know, you look at creativity, problem solving, being innovative, uh, will, you know, being able to improvise. And that sort of moves into the resilience of experimentation, experimenting, overcoming failure. You're going to try it a bunch of times and it may not always work. And you're just trying to find exactly how it will work and then learning from that, from the resilient side. And then at certain, you know, in a circle slides over to self-awareness, you know, accepting reality, knowing oneself you know, and having some empathy, not only, you know, more internally for yourself, because uh, people can get down on themselves if they start, if they fail a lot, particularly if they're not used to doing that when they're a high-end player, and all of a sudden, they're thrown into an environment where everyone's a high-end player, like the American Hockey League, or into the NHL. Yeah, 100%. I mean, context to your training environment is huge as well. So, when you talk about adaptability, it might be one of the things that we'll talk about the most. Um, you know, the, the best players are often the most adaptable players to situations. Um, and, and training environment is huge in, in that aspect. If you spend your training season flipping tires and shooting pucks and stick handling through apparatus and cones with your head down at one speed, you're, you're going to create... Um, you know, maybe some pattern recognition and that I remembered this drill and I go around it in my comfort zone, you know, often avoiding the things that make me uncomfortable. So if your training environment is set up in that way, you know, you're, you're really setting your athlete up for failure, especially at that level. Um, if you set up an adaptable environment, you know, a constraints led approach really starts to become something that, um, you know, it's, it's ever changing. It's ever moving. There's various levels of pressure so that a player has to make those reads and they've got to adapt to the situation. You know, what, what is the level of pressure? Where is it coming from? When does it occur? Oh, it didn't occur this time, but next time it did. Um, so creating environments that really mimic game situations players find themselves in with varying levels of stress at different points of contact 
you know, that those are things where skills become tools to solve problems and the adaptability to recognize, uh, you know, there's more pressure now than there was a second ago. There's no pressure at all. And I have to have attack mentality, you know, for sure. It's, it's, it's a key for us that when we create a training environment, it's one that's filled with discovery and problem solving, and you've got to be adaptable. You've got to go to places that make you uncomfortable. Um, and that's how they find new pathways to performance is, is not by doing repeatable, memorizable things, but by doing things that, you know, the answer is, is, is flowing. There's more movement to it and it changes and, and the picture changes. And so they've got to create, um, you know, that mental map of how do I solve this with the, with the skills that I possess. And so I talked about that earlier in that, you know, if you have a strength as a player, you want to really weaponize that strength. So how can I use my strengths to solve a problem? Maybe I've got to go to play, you know, areas of my skill set that don't make me quite as comfortable. Um, and that adaptability and, and learning to recognize triggers and, and having that situation where I'm in an environment where I'm constantly adapting is, I, I think that's huge. Well, I'm, you know, I'm interested in being able to, in, in terms of player development, is allowing the players experimentation but in an environment, in a situation where it's still under stress, because if you experiment under with no stress, then I just find that the neural pathways, well, I think, and it's based on the information that I've been reading and people I've been speaking to, that the neural pathway is less likely to be act, like you're able, you're less likely able to be act, activate that in those situations. So like, like that's where like, oh, well, let's let the player experiment, but I want to add stress to it. So if you're going to experiment, add stress to it because they rec begin to recognize is that oh, those are things that, you know, you talk to your clients about and then, then, you know, add to your training regimes and your and the work that you do to ensure that that player has that experimental understanding what can overcome failure and then learn from it. You know, how often in a game is it consequence free? And never. so at the highest level, it's never, ever consequence free. So to create drilling where there's no consequence to action, it really doesn't mimic or, or create transfer to what we're trying to have from a training effect. And so that's not to say that it's, you know, it's, it's every session is a, a game seven, drag them out, beat them down. Um, but, but creating stress in the, in the proper way. So players learn a to mitigate, um, B to handle and perform through. And that's something that, you know, I mean, there's, there's skills coaching and, and, you know, we talked about the, the obstacle course that you can create and, you know, and a lot of people think that that's, that is skill, not really. That, that's not the kind of skill we're looking for. And so, you know, when you take the time to talk to people in behavioral science and recognize, all right, you know, here's the goal. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. Here's the skills we possess. Here's the scenario. But now the mental side comes barging in and changes everything. And so, again, the idea that you can have the most skill in the world, but if you can't handle stress, if you can't find your way through contentious situations or pressures present, where there's expectation and where you've got teammates, you know, you've got five other teammates, including your goaltender on the ice that are dependent on what you're doing with the puck on your stick uh, and the consequence that has on, on the, you know, the mental pathways to performance, then, you know, there's certainly more there that we've got to think about. So, 
yeah, it's, it's all great stuff to touch on. And, and from a training perspective, it's certainly something that, that we talk a lot about. Right. Well, Pat, I want to thank you very much for coming on our show. Always appreciate your insight. This has been another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned for next week for part three of our part four NHL draft preview show. And we will see you at the rink.